The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Welcome back to the 114th episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie, and I am joined, as always, by my fantastic co-host, Chris Smalls Angelos. And Smalls, this week we are joined by Taylor Jenkins of the Milwaukee Bucks, currently 50-17, and 17, the best record in the NBA, best net rating in the NBA, best defensive rating in the NBA, and on BovadaSportsBook.com, they are plus 210 to win the East and plus 900 to win the NBA title, third best odds to win the NBA title, second best odds to win the East after the Raptors. So it has been an unbelievable season, and Taylor was not a guy that we knew before this interview, and he gave us... You know, Smalls, about an hour and 15 minutes of awesome content and and talked about his journey and how he went from being a Wharton grad from the University of Pennsylvania with no high level playing experience to an on the bench NBA assistant. Yeah, isn't it something you can always kind of make your path in basketball if uh, you're pretty good at your job and you work hard? And I think he worked his way up the ranks and really figured out that's what he wanted to do. Not every day do you, you know, Wharton grad who doesn't play college sports is going to make it in sports coaching necessarily. I could see, you know, the GMs of the world and the capologists, but not this guy, Taylor Jenkins making it in the NBA. It's pretty awesome. And uh, what a special team they have in the Milwaukee Bucks this year. It's a fun team to watch and the team has a real shot to go pretty far. Let's be honest. Um, They can make it to the NBA finals for sure. Yeah, third best odds on Bovada. I think they're plus 950, but uh, the best record in the NBA right now, best net rating in the NBA as well. And, you know, with Taylor, it's funny. We taped this, uh, I think at the time of taping, they were 46 and 14. They had they played the Lakers the next day. It was an off day in L.A., and he, he was nice enough to, to hop on from his hotel room. But w- one of the things I think that's really funny about college basketball and the NBA is how you, you don't necessarily need to catch breaks. I mean, we've talked about this in the past, but – you need to make sure that when you end up in a role, you just sort of embrace it. So he gets an internship with the Spurs in the front office. And we talked about this. I don't want to spoil a ton, but like we talked about this, like you, you started as a front office intern. How did you end up on the court? How did you end up as the head coach of the Austin Toros in the D-League at the time? You know, a guy worked for Quinn Snyder. He worked for Greg Popovich. He worked for Mike Budenholzer. And he still does. And it's like you start off in one job. You kind of embrace it. You just say yes to everything. You do everything that people ask you to do. You ask questions. You become a sponge for information. And then all of a sudden you turn around and, you know, before you're 30, you're the head coach of a, of a, G, of a D-League team. And by the time you're – before you're 40, you've been an on-the-bench assistant for five years. And that's just unbelievable. I mean, that type of rise, he's been written up in ESPN as potentially being the next head coach in the NBA. And it's fun. They, they kind of got let go from the Hawks last year, Smalls not knowing what was going to happen, even though Bud was a, a pretty un, it was a it was not a super secret that he was going to be a, a favorite for the Bucks job. But they've gotten into the situation in Milwaukee where you have like one of the best players in the league and all of a sudden you're just you're just ransacking everybody. I mean they, they really are there's a chance they could win the NBA title and you do work for your whole career to get one shot at this. So I thought it was really special to talk to him about the Bucks season as well as talking to him about kind of his rise in the NBA rankings, because the guy's done it all from a coaching standpoint, not just not been an NBA head coach yet. Yeah, and I think you mentioned a lot of good things there. I think the one thing I'm going to emphasize is like being great at your role. Uh, let's be honest, as young coaches, 
old coaches, whoever you are, it's hard not to look ahead and to look at doing something different, whether you're in an ops role in college or you're an intern in the NBA, you're always thinking about, I want to be an assistant. I want to get on the road and recruit. And then when you're there, you want to be a head coach. So being able to kind of put that not necessarily out of your mind, always have that as the long-term goal, but know that your goal can only be reached if you know you do what you're doing right then really well because people recognize it, right? The daily thing, you might not get daily recognition, but at the end, when it's all said and done, your head coach or who's ever kind of supervising you in your role is going to notice that you do that really well and that you're ready for more responsibility. And then you're going to have that kind of uh, mental muscle memory to be able to do that at any role or any position so you can become that ultimate goal, becoming a head coach. And I think that was really cool. You kind of hear that uh, talking to Taylor just about his process. And like you just mentioned, being good at what you do uh, and not trying to look ahead or saying yes to everything is so critical. Yeah, and I think uh, real quick, because I do want to talk about Fran Dunphy before we uh, hop into this interview. But, you know, Taylor, too, I think we get in this kind of this world where it's like, man, NBA assistants, what do they do? Like they're on the road all the time. And like they definitely are. But as you guys can hear him kind of open up as it gets later, he does an unbelievable city review. He has a really good time talking about stuff that goes on within the team. You know, obviously not a ton of stuff behind the scenes. But I mean, just like embracing the process, like you can tell that that was a big thing for him. He's an organized guy. He's definitely focused. But I think I was pretty I was pretty surprised. Not not really surprised, but I guess I was pretty impressed, Smalls, at his ability to just, you know, come off and be very normal with us. And I, I think that's probably the key to how he got players to accept him because we wonder as you get older if you're not a former player or you know you haven't played at a high level whether that's in college you know NBA pro leagues whatever are you able to get on the court and really teach guys and I think you can hear on this interview why Taylor was able to make that transition and he he talks about it a little bit we asked that question so you can hear kind of how he thinks about it but his ability to kind of you know interact and 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 keep it real with a lot of different people and, and and different positions I think has probably been a huge key in his career that that's I honestly that was probably my biggest takeaway smalls because you can't really do this job like Jeff Rafferty mentioned last week you got to be a people person if you're going to recruit and I think if you're going to coach you really got to be a people person as well because you have to be able to relate to everybody whether that's the front office the rest of the coaching staff the players you know you got to go to different season ticket holder meetings or alumni stuff if you're on a college staff you got to talk to fans. I think there's just a lot of things that you have to be able to seamlessly juggle. And I, I think you can tell in this interview that, that, that Taylor is that type of guy. And I think that's been a huge key for him. Yeah. And relating it to kind of what we want to jump into a little bit in this, uh, you know, right before this episode is Fran Dunphy, Fran Dunphy is no, he's the best example of that. Uh, a person who's genuine, who gets every different kind of person really not only knows who you are, but tries to get the most out of you, whether what role it is. And everyone's kind of talked about that um, as he just had his last home game at Temple. Uh, It it was fun to watch, and I think they're going to get a tournament bid, which is awesome. But no one's better than Coach Dunphy. It's a little unfortunate how this stuff is going down and how it's portrayed. But, um, you know, Coach Dunphy is no better example. So uh, it's kind of cool seeing him getting a chance to go in the tournament and everything like that. Small's classic jinx. Uh, Hopefully the win against UCF on Saturday was enough. I I don't know if it is, and I I don't really care. I think it is. 
but we know I, who knows what the committee's going to do. They haven't really valued the American, but I don't really want to get into bracketology because it, it doesn't. One of the things that I've long fought against is like your tournament results. Yeah, they matter. I get it, but it, it doesn't determine how good or bad of a coach you are if you win in a, or lose in a one game sample or whatever or, or a single elimination tournament. But I'm obviously biased. I'm a, I'm a big dump supporter, as everybody knows, and I don't really want to get into uh, kind of like what Small said. The way this went down, you know, everybody can kind of have their own conclusions about that. But I, I do want everyone to understand that just a huge influence on the two of our lives and, and a guy who's the same person every day. We wouldn't do this podcast if it wasn't for him. He would never take credit for this low quality uh, shindig. <laughs> he, he would probably be appalled to hear this because he certainly is not listening. But, you know, he, he was who got the two of us interested in coaching, you know, and, and interested in being like, oh, I really want to impact different people's lives. I, I want to, you know, not feel like I'm going to work every day. I want to challenge myself. I want to challenge my players. I want to challenge, I mean, he challenged us as managers and, it, it was fun to watch the reception he got. I was really glad they were able to win. I think they've won 12 straight senior days. So just just to be clear, yeah. Bovada got taken for a ride by your boy Smalls because, <laughs> I mean, it was the perfect spot. Dumps last game. They needed it for AAC tournament uh, rankings. for the So they didn't have to play Memphis in the second round. It was Dumps last game and senior day. And I was just like, man, it, this spread could be a million and I would have taken it. Thankfully, it was only a one and, and they covered. But – I just I want to give a shout out to Fran Dunphy, who who we will eventually have on this show. He's not a real sit down and be recorded for an hour type of guy, but maybe we'll uh, buy him a slice or get him out on the golf course or something, and he can talk while he plays. I, I don't know. We'll figure it out. But we'll figure it out. Just this is our dear dump, I guess. Like thanks for everything you you've done for me and and Smalls. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I know you feel the same way. And uh, I, I really hope it's a tournament run for you, man. And I really hope that guys understand and appreciate who you are what you mean to the big five what you mean to the city of philadelphia and what you mean to every single person who played for your team and crossed paths with you over your 30-year career because just a special individual who's not going to coach at leah course anymore and i mean everybody's career comes to an end at some point and and i don't know if dumps is over i you know maybe he'll coach again there's there were a ton of openings today as we recorded five low major openings uh today but just, you know, Fran Dunphy, not not enough to say about the guy Smalls. Just so influential on so many people's careers. And, and I just want to take the time to say thanks because, like I said, this Create Your Shot wouldn't happen if it wasn't for Fran Dunphy. That's for sure. <laughs> well, I think, I think the last thing I'll say is he pulls the most out of everybody. Uh, and that's just me talking about being in the program. Like, we were managers, right? But he didn't take it easy on us in any way. He made us more detail-oriented, I think, by just, you know, sarcasm of picking up trash and making things, making sure that everything was prepared correctly. I wasn't going to learn a lot of that stuff in a classroom. I don't think a lot of people get a chance to do that. So working in that program, not only developing relationships, but there was always a standard in any role you had. And he he forced that out of you because he built that culture. He built that within the staff, built that within the players. And what he's yielded, what he has produced out of young men and young women that have come out of that program and the coaching staff, I mean, it's just a bunch of good people. That's what it is. It's people it who is. have gotten it better. And you look at Matt Langle, right? A guy, Colgate's about to play for their conference championship, and he's done a great job. Fran Dunphy really influenced Matt Langle a ton, a ton of way he prepares, but also the way he treats others. 
and runs his program as culture and it's it's showing so there's there's a lot of examples of that and i just really appreciated everything he kind of did without you know the attention like you don't see it every day and it's just the little things he's done for us yeah we've we have this podcast and we have fun and we're good friends and uh we owe a lot of that to coach stuff so awesome that's a that's actually true smalls i I didn't really count our friendship uh not to get all uh like sappy but i didn't really count our friendship as dump's fault but that's certainly true although he was not in the gym for the time uh you tried to fight me during pickup (laughs) i I probably would have lost that fight honestly i've I've tried to fight a lot of people (laughs) uh a couple last things so like you said matt langle uh playing for the conference championship on tuesday night uh pete lapis playing for the conference championship in the nec on tuesday night uh Colin Curtin and Quentin Farrell uh, in semifinals on Monday night. Uh, we will know by the time this airs who is playing for the title, but it would be fun to see Charleston and Hofstra in the CAA title. Uh, Division two guys I shouted out on Twitter, Joe Gallo and Merrimack two seed in the Division two tournament. Uh, Jared Von Rosenberg, Jared Von Rosenberg, excuse me, and Texas A&M Commerce, a four seed in the Division two tournament. And Mark Vanderslice and USC Aiken, a three seed in the Division two tournament. Those all tip on Saturday the 16th. And Division Three guys that we've had on, uh, Matt Hunter winning the first round. Uh, Justin Scott got a win in the first round of the tournament. Uh, we are going to have Justin Potts from Moravian on uh, in the very near future, also made the tournament. And then uh, let's see Kevin App with Williams. Close loss in the Elite Eight, but a great run for Williams. Still have a couple uh, power conference guys still in their tournaments later on this week. As always, go to Bovada for any types of odds that you may have. But... Other than that, Smalls, it is a very fun time of year. Also, one other thing to bring up, like I said, ton of job openings on Monday, and and we love the rumor mill just as much as everybody, but do remember that when people lose their jobs just because you may get a new job because of it, it is not a good thing in this business. I don't think anyone ever really wants to root for guys to lose their jobs, so be cognizant of that as you're uh, you know, following coaching changes on Twitter and, and Jeff Goodman and, and all those guys, Rothstein, a uh, friend of the program. Hoop dirt. Yeah, hoop dirt. Ab- absolutely, Adam Nelson, small college, the best in the business. Uh, D one stuff. He always has his search names are always correct and things like that. So, you know, those guys. Keep in mind if you're if you're looking for a job, keep keep those guys in mind. But also, like I said, this is a tough business and uh, not a fun day. This is not a fun two weeks for a lot of different people. So, other than that, uh, like this is a bit of a longer intro and a, and a long interview with Taylor Jenkins and, and a lot of good stuff. But I, I felt there was some stuff that needed to be said because a lot of things have been going on in the industry of late. So listen to this interview with Taylor Jenkins. If you like what you hear, uh, let us know. Uh, we are Create Your Shot on Twitter, Create Your Shot Pod on Instagram, Create Your Shot on Facebook, and Create Your Shot at gmail.com. Final Four is coming up. We are organizing a meetup place. Won't be an episode, but a place to grab a few beers and everything. I uh, should have that info in about two weeks. And then uh, if you like what you hear, please do rate us five stars. Leave a review. Uh, subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. If you leave a review and you send a screenshot to me, I will send you a koozie free of charge. Just let me know what your address is. And I will have some koozies at the Final Four for anybody who has not been on the show that shows up and, and is looking for some free merchandise, probably the first 100 people that, that come if we even get 100. Uh, hopefully we will, but if, if you want a free koozie, just come find us wherever we are. And enjoy this interview with Taylor Jenkins. Like I said, another NBA guy starting to make in, break into that field a little bit and uh, are hearing a lot of good information. So enjoy this week with Taylor Jenkins. And uh, pay attention to the Bucks, man. They're super fun to watch. Giannis probably going to win MVP but it, it, it's been very fun to uh, kind of watch them since we talked to Taylor and learned a little bit about the behind the scenes of their staff and how it came together. So thanks as always for everybody who listens and enjoy this week with uh, Taylor Jenkins of the Milwaukee Bucks.
All right, welcome on Taylor Jenkins. Uh, Taylor's currently an assistant for the Milwaukee Bucks. Taylor, like we said, you guys just beat the Kings last night in overtime, 141 to 140. I should say Wednesday night. But uh, thanks for joining us. And just, you know, you're out in L.A. in the midst of a road trip. How are you today? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, good to be on the road. Last night, heck of a game. Uh, very entertaining. A lot of emotions. Overtime. Big win for us. And now we get the day off here in sunny L.A. And uh, a little different climate than uh, we're used to back in Milwaukee. So just uh, enjoying the sunshine out here in California. Yeah. Uh, you guys are now 47 and 14, first place in the East, riding to get six game win streak. You guys are first in net rating in the NBA, first in defensive rating. So it's just been probably an unbelievable start uh, to your first year on staff. But I'm curious, when you guys got the job and when you decided to come over with Bud, what were some of your initial goals going into this year? So that's a, I mean, that's a great question. And we've kind of always operated this way. I mean, we, we, didn't, we really didn't have any goals. Um, you know, as we studied the team and Bo was going through the interview process and, you know, he finally got the job, you know, we were sitting there at our coaches retreat in early August. And number one thing was, how can we just build our habits? Um, you know, a team that obviously was in the playoffs last year, great talent, you know, Giannis, obviously a special talent. So we knew we had a great team to work with a team that was top 10 in the offense last year, I think middle of the pack defensively. And for us is okay, you know, if we are going to set some goals, we love being a top 10 offense, top 10 defense. That's going to hopefully translate into a playoff team and team that can have sustainability, um, you know, deep into the playoffs and year after year. But for us, our motto has always been, okay, don't focus on the records and, you know, where we have to be in the playoffs and where do we stack against the other teams? Just can we just build our habits from day one? Uh, what do we want to do on the offensive end? What are our, our um, you know, uh, points of emphasis there, our core values, same thing defensively. And most importantly, how are we just going to get better every single day? What's our daily work habits going to be? And fortunately for us, you know, having that belief has kind of translated, even when we were in Atlanta, to really successful teams. Um, so goals are, you know, great. Um, top 10 is something that we do hit our team with throughout the year. And uh, luckily, we've been a top five team on both ends of the floor. But we believe that it's our kind of focus on our daily work habits and how we want to get better every single day that allows us to accomplish that. Yeah, and no, actually following up on that, and I know, you know, as coaches, we're told to one game at a time. That's all we think about. But you're 75% of the way through the season. The playoffs are definitely on the horizon. Are you guys doing anything to prepare and maybe to prepare as a staff already for the playoffs? When does that kind of begin? Sure. I mean, we've had some conversations off and on as a coaching staff, you know, we're, you know, the, the beauty of the Eastern Conference, there's, so, you know, so many teams vying for different spots and positioning. I think, you know, that's still a ways away before we start dialing into who we're going to play in the first round. And, you know, matchups are obviously big in the playoffs. I think for us, you know, trying to have home court advantage, um, giving us that opportunity to be at home in front of our fans is something that we definitely want to strive for. Uh, when we came back from break, um, you know, the all-star break, uh, we did hit our team right off the bat that, you know, with 25 games left in the season, we've had a lot of success. And, you know, here's where we rank offensively and defensively. And back to, you know, the motto that I just said about getting better every single day, uh, Bud hit him pretty hard about, you know, we're starting to get bored a little bit with winning. You know, we do have one of the best net ratings and, you know, not to say that our guys think it's easy and they can flip on the switch. It's just some of our habits were slipping prior to the break. and 
knowing that this last 25 games, as we're trying to get ready for the playoffs, um, these 25 games are important and continuing to build on those habits and get better every single day. And, you know, our offense uh, was still doing pretty well, but our defense was, you know, slipping, even though we're, you know, overall ranked number one, our defense was trending in the wrong direction. And um, that's something that we've kind of keyed in on. And it's great that we've come out of the break and, you know, kind of gotten four, four game win streak. And that's just going to be our focus is, uh, you know, not the win totals or the streaks or anything, but we got to have this slippage stop. Taylor, how much is your experience as a, a one seed with the Hawks uh, a few years ago with such a veteran team with Al Horford and Paul Millsap and Joe Johnson help, help you guys with this team, especially as young as they are with, and they do have playoff experience, but some limited playoff experience, but how much do those sort of seasons can play with each other now? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely unique. Uh, every situation, every, season's different um you know some of the takeaways we had from that year obviously a special season 60 wins um being the number one seed obviously being the number one seed is something that i think is going to be super helpful for us if we can get their um, home court advantage for a team that you know is hasn't gotten out of the first round in a couple of years but i'd say you know to be honest like the the takeaways from that year it, it, i can't really pull something drastically from it just you know, we had a good group of players and strove to get to, you know, the the number one seed. We had a great lead. This year, you know, we've got a tight race. It's it's a different situation than that year. I think the Toronto Raptors being on our heels is going to push us. I think our guys, without us having to say anything, um, that's, I think, a fortunate thing for us as coaches. We've got players that are motivated on their own right, uh, not getting out of the first round last year. Um, you know, see the matchups against Boston that <laughs> those are those are tough matchups. They want to get those wins in the regular season. So pull something from the 60 wins a couple of years ago. I can't say there's anything that, you know, I really can pull. I think uh, I want to talk a little bit more about you. Obviously, I think people are going to be following the Bucks throughout the year. And we'll get back to that a little bit. But we talked a little bit about off this off the air. But you went to Penn, graduated from Wharton. You know, how does a Wharton grad tell his parents he wants to get into coaching as like an intern in the Spurs organization? And what was that conversation like? So it's kind of funny. Um, you know, I've been blessed. My family has been supportive of me my entire life with my education and um, obviously taking the leap of faith to go from a, a business school to the coaching world or, you know, the, the sports world. And I was actually home for Christmas break trying to figure out, all right, you know, I'm getting this business degree from Wharton don't really want to go to Wall Street, finance, accounting, <laughs> kind of not my my bag of tea. And yeah. my aunt my aunt was there and she actually said, well, why don't you try to get into pro sports? I mean, you love sports and you've got this business background. Why don't you go for it? So my family's always encouraged me and been supportive of me in every uh, avenue of my life. And when I finally kind of took that conversation and ran with it and said, you know what, let me jump into maybe going to the front office and reach out and see who I know and what ends I might have. Uh, there was never any hesitation. I mean, they always supported me. And uh, I remember even talking with my mom when I first started coaching in the D league and, you know, I've got this fabulous degree from Wharton and she goes, just look at it as your, your master's degree in coaching, like always trying to find a positive take yeah. on how it can benefit me in the long run. And, um, you know, it, they're so proud of me and I'm so proud of them. It's kind of a weird thing because they supported me and, you know, if I didn't have their support and especially all the people that have helped me in the Spurs organization, the Hawks and now the Bucks, uh, I've been blessed. How did you, uh, I guess, obtain 
the skill set and really learn and engross yourself in the coaching game just because I feel like, you know, there's a lot of people who love sports and, uh, you know, they're like, I want to get into pro sports. I want to get into college sports and I want to coach, but you don't really understand the exact details. So how did you approach that situation and learn and grow year after year in the profession? Well, I think just like how you said it, uh, that's kind of in my mentality is just learning and growing and not worrying about the end results and, you know, what outcome is going to happen? Where am I going to be in five years or where am I going to be in 10 years? I mean, this all started with my love of the game. I mean, I've got a picture from when I was like eight or 10 years old at the dentist office and it's like basketball is life. And I've always been a sports guy. I love the competition. I love being a part of teams. And, you know, in college, um, you know, I didn't play college ball. I didn't work with the college team at Penn. And I spent three years working with inner city kids with a couple of my buddies. And we started a basketball league and we're coaching 10 to 13 year olds. And, just the the opportunity to teach the game that I love has always driven me every single day. And when I you know got my opportunity in Austin, coached there for five years, my whole mentality was, okay, I'm just going to learn. I'm just going to invest myself. I love this game. I love competition. I'm hungry, and I just want to absorb. And I you know I'm around Pop. I'm around Quinn Snyder, Brad Jones. Those you know three head coaches I worked for. Now I'm with Coach Bud, and I've got these guys that are brilliant basketball coaches, but they're amazing people like they teach you on and off the court and I've been blessed and you know just to have that hunger and fire to just want to learn as much as I can from them and pick you know things that I like and oh man I want to take that from pop and I want to take that from bud it's allowed me to develop my own coaching voice yeah I'm I'm listening to you talk about that and it's it makes a lot of sense because and I think Tyler could even back me up on this you don't have necessarily preconceived ideas or notions about how to coach. So you almost have a blank slate and your approach that I'm going to learn and I don't have the right answers to the ideas. Whereas people like me and Tyler, we think we know all the answers because we wanted to coach since you know <laughs> X year, but you had that and you were able to absorb and learn and then pull the best ideas that you like that fit certain styles and really learn at that developed age. And I think that's so unique in terms of yeah. coaching. You don't hear it a lot because you either hear the player or, hey, I've been trying to get in coaching since I was 16 type of thing. You know what I mean? Taylor, you spent you mentioned that you spent a lot of time with the uh, Austin Toros and, and the D-League now, or now the G-League, excuse me. When I worked in it, it was the D-League. And when you worked in it, it was the D-League. Uh, but you mentioned when you got in, you were like, oh, maybe I'll take a front office route. When, when did the the, the switch kind of flipped that you're like, all right, I'm gonna give this a shot and be an on the floor member of a coaching staff. Like, was there a moment or was it just like, hey, the Spurs were like, you're good at this. We need somebody in Austin, sure. get in the van and drive the, the, you know, 60 miles and this is your job now. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, it, to say there was a, a one moment, I think it was a combination of things. I, you know, I've always been a forward thinker, which is kind of weird to say. I've always said, it, you know, I'm not take, looking five years or 10 years uh, ahead too much. But my intern year with the Spurs, you know, is coming to an end and I'm starting to think, okay, well, my internship's up, you know, what am I going to do next? You know, I'd love to stick on and you know, I'd love to be a GM. Um, uh, I was always, my life, I've always been one to just say, I'm going to take the toughest challenge. It's academically, it's athletically. I just want the toughest challenge. Um, I think that makes me better um, at, you know, life. It makes me better as a person in my career or whatnot. And I knew deep down inside, I always wanted to coach high school basketball, like, one day, if I can go back and coach at my alma mater and teach and coach and be an advisor, I knew I wanted to do that. 
and getting the opportunity to sit at the Spurs practice facility day in and day out and watch Pop and the coaching staff, who I, who I got to know really well, just how they operated and, you know, to be around the Spurs players and just that dynamic and going, man, this is the team that sets, you know, foot on the floor every single night and goes to battle and competes. I want to roll my sleeves up and get sweaty and get out there and work with them every single day. It just started getting my gears thinking about or going, all right, well, after I do this internship year, is there even an opportunity to get into coaching? Maybe there is. And I started exploring it, talked to Quinn Snyder, talked to Del Demps, talked to RC, and they all fully backed me and said, if this is what you want to do, uh, go for it. We've got an opportunity and I've been blessed. I mean, they threw me into the fire. Quinn gave me so many responsibilities. And it was just those moments of just sitting there day in and day out, just watching the competition, you know, at the practice facility and going and watching a home game and seeing the Spurs take on, you know, whichever opponent it was and going deep into the playoffs and going, man. I want to be a part of that staff that rolls their sleeves up, dives in every single day, game planning, player development, whatever it is, going on the road. And um, knowing that I wanted to coach high schoolers and to be sitting here where I am today, uh, it's been a bl- it's been a blessed journey. Yeah. <laughs> I have no preconceived notions. This can all go away in a moment's notice. Um, but to, to know the journey that I've come from so far, G League, now to the NBA, uh, it's, I'm blessed. I, I mean, Taylor, you, you're exactly right because it's not like – you know, Coach Bud, a, a ton of success with the Hawks, but, you know, ultimately got fired. And like, that just happens, you know, and now you, you get yep. another opportunity. And it was, it seemed like it was a pretty poorly kept secret that he was going to get the Bucks job. At least, you know, if I feel like I know it, I'm sure other people in the business really thought they knew it. But, you know, you're right about that. I, I mean, was there any moment of doubt in between this season and last season about what was going to happen? Because it, it was the first time in a while that you weren't, you know, pretty solidly on, on you know, I'm trying to think of the right way to put this, but like, where, you know, your feet were on the ground pretty much. And, and this year in between years, was there some doubt? Like, oh, man, I'm not sure what I'm going to have to do. Yeah, there there was a little doubt. I mean, um, you know, I'm not going to speak to all the things that Bud went through. But, of course, of course. You know, th- there were moments where, you you know, well, you don't have a job with the Hawks anymore. And, you know, Bud's interviewing and he's keeping us in the loop, which is great. You know, as an assistant, you know, I would love to hear from my head coach, hey, I'm, you know, interviewing with the Knicks, I'm interviewing with the Raptors and the Bucks and the Suns and all these teams. And, you know, here's what I'm thinking. But you never know. He could have gotten the job and, you know, the team that hired him could have said, well, no, you can't bring your own your staff. So working with my agent and trying to figure out what's best for me and my family, I was, you know, exploring a lot of different options and knowing that, all right, well, if it doesn't work out with Bud, how do I stay in the game? Um, I love what I do. I love coaching. I love teaching. And, is there an opportunity for me out there? But deep down inside, obviously, my hope was to be with Bud. He's meant so much to me and my growth. The fact that we have the entire staff together, pretty much from Atlanta, speaks volumes to him um, as a coach and as a leader and how much he believes in us as assistant coaches. And uh, for the Bucks to allow all of us to come um, has been special. And you know, even though that there was probably some doubts or nerves about what are we going to do, you know, even sitting down and talking to my wife and saying, okay, this could go in many, many different directions. But regardless of if we get a job or not, we're going to be okay. Like, I believe myself as a coach, whether I stuck in the NBA or went to the G League or ended up coaching high school basketball, I was going to find something that I love to do every single day. And, you know, you're, you're providing for your family, you got to do something. Um, but uh, it, it all worked out splendidly well. Yeah, you talked a little bit about uh, you know challenges, and that piqued my interest. What what do you think the biggest challenge for you, coaching wise, was? I, I know for some coaches, you know, just come from the college, it's 
I'm really good at recruiting, but player development or vice versa. What really challenged you in the coaching profession that you said, I have to work and work and work at this to get my skill up to par? Uh, working in the D-League, man, it's, uh, it's it, it, you can swap the word challenge with opportunity. That's the way I look yeah. at it. I mean, the D-League the D presents so many challenges every single day. And I've, I've obviously was in a you know phenomenal situation with the Austin Toros, who are now the Spurs. But that the Spurs be your parent club, the amount of resources and care that they gave uh, to the D-League team um, was like tops in the league. But knowing that, you know, your travel is different than a pro team, your roster turnover, you're going to have a different roster every two weeks and (laughs) managing expectations of a guy that's playing 30 minutes, but then a guy gets assigned and he's taking those 30 minutes. And just the day to day approach to like life is so unpredictable. Like you don't know what's going to happen. Our our bus route from South Dakota to North Dakota is in a flood warning. And you're like, all right, well, we're just going to power through like. You just develop this mentality of I'm going to take it one day at a time. I'm not going to get too high, too low. And you're just going to grind. You're going to find a solution. You're going to work with a staff of maybe only three coaches compared to the NBA where you have maybe eight coaches. And you have one trainer instead of, you know, a team of eight you know performance staff members. And uh, sometimes you're on your own and you've got one basketball hoop in a gym and you got one basketball. How are you going to run a team practice? And there's a creative element that you have to develop. and you know, it does pose a lot of challenges and conversations that you'd have to have with players at times about their opportunities being diminished because changes were being made because of a call up or an assignment or um, it, it, it was a beautiful thing, man. It, it was never perfect. You definitely made plenty of mistakes, but you constantly were learning from it and um, you developed a, a kind of a mentality of, all right, we're just going to grind and plow through. And Darvin Ham, who's on the books with me, we laugh all the time about our, our D-League days and our D-League stories and how we got to write a book someday about all the things that flew across our face. And you're like, how did that happen? You can't make that up. But you just said, you know what? I'm just going to roll with it, man. I'm going to roll with it. It's life. You know, don't take it too seriously and you'll just find a solution. Yeah, I'm I'm laughing about that because I I worked with the Delaware 87ers as a lot of people who know who listen to this podcast the first year when they were an expansion team. We had like 47 dudes over the course of the (laughs) entire year. And it's just like a new guy every night. And like, if you're getting jerseys done, I used to have to drive them over to the place to get the names printed. But it, when it snowed, the plate we practiced at a community college, Delaware Tech. And if it snowed, they closed. Like, I swear, it snowed in the Northeast a lot, you know? Like, this wasn't Austin, Texas. Like, it snowed a good bit. Right. <laughs> but if there was like an inch of snow on the ground, they were worried about the parking lot and insurance because they were, they were, they were broke. So they closed all the time. So I had literally 15 different just like local gyms and schools in my phone because the second the weather report was snow, I was just calling to be like, all right, who can get us in at 10 o'clock tomorrow? Because like we have to practice, but I, I can't get us in at Delaware Tech, even though that's who we paid to practice at. It's sure. just like, that stuff was always, I think it's funny when you said opportunity. It, it's so much fun. I wish I had taken notes because the book would sell like, it'd be a New York Times bestseller probably because people wouldn't believe the stuff that you have in the book. I mean, it's one of those head scratches. You're like, can you make that up? And I mean, how many people I've talked to that have had experiences with the D League that, or now the G League, like you just have smiles on your face, you laugh, you're like, like we, I don't want to say survival because that's not to diminish the experience, but you're like, man, all the challenges, opportunities that you go through as a player, as a coach, as a front office member, even the officials, like, <laughs> like you're stronger for it because I mean, if I wouldn't be the coach that I am today and have the mentality that I have uh, if I hadn't had that experience at the D League and. Your story about 15 different gyms, same thing for us my first year in Austin. I mean, we had a different practice site 
every day. And Coach Schneider would literally call me at his house. He was driving to his you know local coffee shop and be like, hey, Taylor, where are we practicing today? And I'm like, well, we're on the north side of town. We're on the south side of town. We're on the east side of town. And we're all over. And it was just kind of go with it mentality. It, and, and it's funny, too, because it was the first place, you know, when I was working in college, like I, I felt like roles were very clearly delineated. Like you said, like, you know, the three assistants did this. The head coach did this. The ops guy did this, just like probably how your staff is now. But in the D League, you know, like you said, you have three people on staff. You got a video guy, maybe one other ops person or an intern. And the head coach is just like, all right, here's your job. Figure it out. Like, don't call me with like the wrong answer. You know, just tell me this is what we're doing. And and it's always, you know, I, you know, Quinn Snyder wasn't a lifer, but he was there for a little while. You know, I had Rod Baker and Kevin Young was on staff guys that had coached in minor league basketball for a while. And they just, it was like stuff just rolled off their back. I always called with what I expected was going to be bad news for them. And it, it never really was. It was always like, all right, cool. We've got basketballs. We've got practice uniforms. You can get the guys where they need to go. Like, this is fine. We'll do it. And it's it, that part. I agree with you. Like that part made it fun because you never, it was like some sort of like group expectation. You were going to do it together. You know, it, it taught me more about, I think, team building and, and organization from a coaching staff standpoint than anywhere else I've ever worked. I completely agree with you, man. The opportunities, the learning experiences. I mean, that's a skill set in itself is being able to just, as you said, figure it out. I mean, we, we told our team that stuff in a timeout, figure it out. You know, they're scoring a bunch of points, figure it out. Well, that's how you operate day to day in the D League. Figure it out. So you were, you know, you mentioned working for Quinn Snyder for a little while, and then you end up getting an opportunity to be the head coach. Can you walk us through, like, what? First of all, how how happy did you feel? Like, did you feel when that opportunity came, and did you feel like you were ready to go, or did you not have time to kind of be like, all right, I got to figure? You know, I, I've watched these guys do it, but now it's it's my show. I'm sitting one seat over. I've got to have more answers than I've ever had in my life. Sure. I mean, I, I was in Austin for five years, four as an assistant, my last year as the, as the head coach. And, you know, when I first started there, you know, as I've said, you know, earlier, like it, my whole mentality was just learning and getting better. I'm learning from Quinn Snyder, great coach, super passionate. Let me dive into his hunger with my hunger and really gain something from this experience. So two years with him and then, uh, you know, Coach Jones, Brad Jones, who's uh, now with the Memphis Hustle, you know, he taught me a lot about the big picture, you know, living in the gray. Um, you know, what does it mean to be a head coach? And, you know, he started giving me confidence. So, you know, one day you're going to be a head coach in this league. And I'm sitting there going, wow, I mean, I don't want to rush too far ahead. But, yeah, that would be that would be great. But I never put a timeline on it. And then I'd have so many conversations with him about, you know, what it means to be a head coach and how do you operate in different situations. And it started triggering in my mind. All right, well, I still want to keep folks on just getting better and learning and just absorbing as much knowledge and making my mistakes and learning from those mistakes. But if my time does come, I need to be prepared. Um, you know, are you going to have all the answers when you're a first time head coach? No, you're still going to be learning on the fly and making mistakes. And um, when the time came, I think it was after my fourth year with the uh, Toros, I started getting some interview opportunities with other D League teams. And uh, the the Toros job wasn't even open yet. I, I was actually about to fly to uh, Boise, Idaho, to interview for their head coaching position. And that same morning, a couple of days before, um, I had just found out that Coach Jones was taking a job with Utah Jazz. And not even once am I thinking, "All right, you know, I'm next in line. It's my turn." Not once. I thought, "Hey, I'm just going to be a great assistant. I'm going to keep working. And if I get opportunities to interview, I'm going to interview." Sean Marks calls me into the office, says, we want to offer you the job. And I was just blown away. I mean, to be able to work for that organization and get that opportunity for a team that I worked for for four years and get the opportunity. I was I was <laughs> I was in shock to call my fiance, call my mom, 
just to tell them. And they were so excited for me. I immediately accepted the job that same day. And um, it was a fun, fun year being a head coach in Austin. Guys, we got to take a quick break because it's time to celebrate. The Adam Carolla Show just hit its 10-year anniversary, and Adam is kicking it off in style. Join Adam this week as he welcomes late-night talk show legends Jimmy Kimmel on The Adam Carolla Show and Jay Leno on CarCast. Congratulations, Adam. Download The Adam Carolla Show and CarCast every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Smalls, 10 years of podcasting for Adam Carolla. I, uh, I think if we called Bovada and we said, could we get odds on Create Your Shot having 10 years worth of episodes, Bovada would probably laugh in our faces and then set the odds at plus 50,000 because they just know there's no way we're going to follow through on that. Yeah, and I'd be the idiot that would be like, oh, all I have to do is podcast for 10 years. I'll put $1,000 on that, dominate, cash out, and we still wouldn't make it 10 years because we're both morons. Well, the good news is, Mose, you could actually get a pretty good sign-up bonus if I recommended you. So you should check out Bovada for their sign-up bonuses. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Listen, guys, we tell a lot of stories on this podcast, but... Every car comes with its own share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True, True Car. Simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof, watch as they bump up your value. High mileage, you already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer not available in all areas. And now back to Taylor Jenkins. How, how did you kind of uh, build your staff? I mean, I, I do understand that like they had built, you know, the Austin program and the Spurs did a lot. So it was, it was probably not quite as much of a transition, but how did you decide like, all right, these are who I want on my staff. And this is, this is how I'm going to coach. Did you have more of your own philosophy or, you know, you, you mentioned pulling stuff from guys that you worked for, but this was really your first go around at it. Yeah, first first go around at it, and I was the lone survivor from the previous year, uh, plus a volunteer intern that we had from the University of Texas. So we're having to hire two new assistant coaches, an athletic trainer, uh, two other full time interns. So I had kind of developed a list, you know, knowing that all right, I'm starting to interview for head coaching jobs over the summer, and being prepared to go on those interviews. If I got that same question, you know, who, how do you want to build your staff, and who? do you want to interview and bring on as a candidate for an assistant coach? I had kind of pinpointed one guy, uh, Ira Newble, who was an assistant coach uh, with a Canton charge. We had played them in the playoffs uh, the previous year and just watched him pregame and talked to him a little bit. I just gained a lot of respect for his energy on the court, his ability to work with players, um, you know, one-on-one. And so he was at the top of my list, knowing that having someone that had played in the NBA, someone that had played in the minor leagues, played overseas, an individual that our players could relate to in their own journey, someone that, you know, they're trying to make the NBA. So who better to talk to than someone that's played in the NBA and had to scrape and work through the minor league system. And then um, Ken McDonald, who was our other assistant coach, actually had reached out to the Spurs, uh, was an assistant at University of Texas. And I kind of got to know him through RC, RC uh, pretty connected with the University of Texas. 
and he and I kind of hit it off and, you know, he's 10 years older than me, haven't been a head coach, someone that had been a head coach previously could give me, give me that insight in my first head coaching experience to kind of keep me level-headed, not be that boisterous, you know, energetic assistant coach that's always going full speed, hundred miles an hour, a head coach, you got to go at a different pace. And he and I just hit it off. Uh, what I loved about them is that, you know, I wanted people that worked hard, people that were knowledgeable what they did, people that cared every single day about, you know, getting better and getting others better, but people that I could go have a drink with or after a game, go have dinner with. And, you know, we could be upset about a loss or we could be super excited about a win or, you know, whatever's going on, we could just sit there and talk about life and be able to relate to each other. So that was a, that was an interesting process, you know, hiring someone that I kind of knew and then hiring someone that I didn't know. But at the end of the day, discovering that they're two people that I really enjoyed outside of just the work uh, environment. And and obviously, you know, Ken McDonald, for people that don't know, I, I think he came straight to Austin from to be your assistant and he had been the head coach at Western Kentucky, right? So he was in, the, he had run his own program and now he's working for you, Taylor, and you were probably, I don't know, that was what, 2012? So you can't have been much older than 30, right? <laughs> no, I, I, I hadn't even turned 30 yet. I think I was, I was 29, 28 turning 29. And, you know, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, Ken having run his own program at Western Kentucky and, you know, that knowledge and that experience that he brought, I mean, he was teaching me things. And that I think is a beautiful thing as a coach being, and that that's one thing that I really admire about pop. And I really admire about bud um, is that they value their assistant coaches. They want to learn from them. They want to be challenged by their assistant coaches. And I felt that I got that from Ken and from Ira. Um, you know, in the same, same respect, uh, cause that only made me better. And then I could on the reverse challenge them to be better assistant coaches so that one day when they became head coaches at, you know, uh, their opportunity that they were prepared as well. We talk a, a lot about this with young coaches that don't have necessarily a plain background, but when you started, did you have any hesitation about being able to get through to players without a high level playing background like yourself? Sure. I I wouldn't say I had any hesitation, but there was part of me in my mind that, you know, you know, not that I'm a big, oh, I wonder what other people are thinking about me, but you're a young coach, you're paving your way. And you're like, are you getting through to these guys? I, I was curious, like, you know, what do, they, what do they think about me? You know, like, do they like me? Do they not like me? You know, am I doing a good job? My my whole mentality was, you know, I, I believe in how hard I work. I believe in how much I know. Um, I'm not one to shy away from admitting if I was wrong and I'm going to try to get better. And, you know, I do believe that I'm someone that cares for others. Like I truly, if I'm working with you, I care about you and we may disagree, but we're going to work at it together. And this isn't me knowing everything and you not knowing anything. It's we're going to do this together. And I came into it with the mentality of, Hey, if I can show these guys that I care about them, I want to work with them. I know what I'm talking about, that the relationship's good. And it even got to a point where one day a couple of the players, I think it was my second year in Austin, they said, hey, Taylor, you know, how old are you? And I was like, oh, I'm 25. And they go, you're 25? I thought you were 30. And I was like, what do you think I was 30? He's like, man, you know all this stuff, man. You should be a head coach in the league. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you going to talk about? Like, man, you know all this stuff. And it, it, was, it, was, it was a cool, not like a relief moment, but it was like, all right, you know, these guys, they respect me. And, um, you know, that's important in developing those relationships with players is that they know that you care about them. And, you know, you're going to actually help them um, get better. One, one of the things that I learned when I when I left Temple, because I had obviously been there for a long time. So a lot of guys knew me from when I was a student and then when I was a GA or whatever. But 
players operate in their kind of like their own world. And like, they just have, they don't have like a really, I mean, some guys have ideas and they Google you or whatever, but as long as like you're winning and they think you do care about them and maybe you want to talk to them about like, sure. Now it's Fortnite. We used to play a lot of Madden like back in the day, but like guys don't really, they don't really operate on that type of like thinking level. They're not like, Oh, this guy's 25. He's like a baby. He's an idiot. You know, if they disagree with you, they might go there. But in general, if things are good, like, players aren't really thinking like that doesn't surprise me at all. Like guys always think you're older than you are. They just assume that you know what you're doing. Cause like you help them out. And it, it, that that's very funny. I think cause it is, it's one of the more like likable things, especially about the D league. Cause guys are just trying so hard to make it, you know, and you're, you're trying to make it too, obviously. No, 100%. And you know, the other thing you have to do with players or people in general is you can't always talk basketball. That's I mean, truth. it's obviously a common threat. It's always a common thread. You can talk about, you know, someone's play or, you know, this highlight or, Hey, did you see the, you know, I, I'm still adapting. I mean, I'm, I'm 34 years old and, you know, I'm not in tune with, you know, what's going on with, you know, these younger generations and I've got two older boys. So that kind of helps a little bit. Um, but just to be able to just talk about life, talk about music, talk about movies, talk about TV shows, just comedy. Um, I think one of the greatest uh, barrier breakers out there is just humor. And, you know, that's one thing that I think I try to do. And I, I've been, very blessed to have players that, you know, not everyone's got the same comedic level or whatnot, but we can all smile. We can all laugh and all have a good time. And even if things aren't going well, but, you know, being able to keep a light mood and, um, you know, crack some jokes here and there and, and not always focus on basketball, I think is, is, a, is a key in any relationship. Yeah. And you mentioned a key in any relationship. I think that, you know, reflects directly in networking, especially in this industry and not to go back, but a lot of our guests have mentioned that it's, it's not relating to coaches on the X's and O's that you meet um, in college on the road. And I'm sure professional just, you know, as you go around, but it's more relating on a personal level. How would you say you went about networking initially in the NBA and how has that evolved for you um, networking professionally? Yeah, it's, it's definitely an, an evolution still. I, I talk to my agent Spencer uh, often about how, man, you know, like I feel like I don't know a lot of people and, you know, I'm still young in the business and, you know, he tells me, Oh no, people are noticing you. And, that's great. I mean, I've always operated, you know, my Facebook page, I probably have like 50 friends. <laughs> I'm not on Instagram, I'm not on Snapchat. And, um, you know, I've always been a, a, a believer of like, you know, a core group of friends. And, you know, I've got the Spurs tree of a lot of people that were at my wedding, um, people that I grew up with in the video room and also in, you know, the D League. And, you know, it's kind of slowly expanded now being in Austin and, you know, meeting Darvin Ham and Kenny Atkinson and I knew Quinn, but then, Nevin Spahia, who was an international coach, and all the video guys that have come up to then move off, um, you know, who are now assistants in uh, in other places, and slowly but surely, you get to just meet people um, pregame. You know, uh, coaches introducing me to someone else, and you know, through my agency, you know, at summer league, they have this uh, get together with all the coaches and clients come together, and that's just a, an opportunity for me to network even more. I'm not one that always puts my face and my hand out there to, to go to meet people. Not that, you know, I'm shy or anything. Um, but it's been helpful to have other people help me navigate those waters and get to know people. And for example, like when we were talking about this past summer, you know, Atlanta transition to Milwaukee, I interviewed with the Memphis Grizzlies and I didn't really know anyone, but um, Chad Forcier, who ended up being hired by the Grizzlies, was someone that kind of recommended me, and I knew him from San Antonio. And I'll always remember sitting down with Coach Bickerstaff and him talking about relationships. And he goes, hey, man, you're not sitting here. You wouldn't be sitting here if I you know, didn't know you were a smart guy. You worked hard. You were good at what you did, what you do. 
What I really want to know is who you are as a person. How are you going to be on this staff as someone outside of basketball? Like, well, what do you believe in? What drives you? What are your hobbies? All that. So to sit with someone that I had never met before and just get to know him on a personal level and not as much on a basketball X's and O's philosophies, systems is what we're going to do. That was pretty exciting. And I think that's what a big part of networking is, is everyone sees each other from afar. Everyone talks about each other from afar, and what they can and can't do as a coach. But getting to know someone on a personal level, that is what you want when you build a staff and when you want to have those deep connections, because you never know who you're going to work for uh, next year or five years or 10 years from now. Um, so it's exciting to kind of slowly get into that networking and get to know people that you really like. Uh, not to transition back into your current situation, but I, I am curious about this. Like you guys were all on the same staff last year. What's sort of like the day to day for you as an assistant? And, and how does that differ from some of the other assistants on staff? Do you guys have specific, you don't have to get too in the weeds, obviously, Taylor, but like, do you guys have specific roles for, for different scouts or, you know, what, what, what is your day to day if it's like not a game day? Sure. Um, you know, I think the beauty of uh, Bud's staff and uh, a lot of credit to him is, he wants everyone to have an equal voice and an equal share responsibility and all the tasks. Um, we definitely all do a varying you know, degrees of different things. We all share in player development. We all do player development. We all do advanced scouting. We're all in the meeting before our uh, daily vitamins, we call them, and we do our individual work with players start. So sitting in a room for an hour, an hour and a half and playing out practice, everyone's got a voice. Uh, when we're going over a team edit to show them film from a previous game, everyone's got a voice on what clips to use or we should reorder this. And it's great. I mean, it just empowers you to feel like you're valued and, you know, we're all contributing to the, to the bigger goal. Um, you know, for me individually, like if it's not a game day, you know, I kind of, you know, you designate me as like the, the overseer of the staff, the organizer of the staff. Uh, when Bud hired me, he was kind of like, I want you to be the guy that just keeps us in line, keeps us, you know, on target. Um, the things that we need to do, um, you're, I'm super organized. I'm probably a little OCD, uh, which sometimes is never a bad thing. Um, but keeping us on task with, you know, a variety of things, you know, what are we planning for practice or what's our schedule looking like next year? Or, hey, where are we having dinner after that game, you know, in Phoenix on Monday night? So having been in a, a head coach and having been around Bud in San Antonio for all those years, there was a trust level built in where he knew he could come to me and say, hey, you know, I want you to keep tabs on what we're doing as a staff, what we need to be doing for the team on a daily basis. Um, so it's it it's great. Um, it kind of fits my skill set and my strength. And I've been challenged in other areas, too. Uh, one last question from us before we do some segments. And I think this is really important, especially considering what your background is. But you mentioned, you know, a couple of times your fiance, but now you're married, you have two kids. You know, how have you balanced? And, and gotten better at balancing coaching and, and your family life over the last couple of years, especially as you, you know, you have gotten married and, and are fortunate enough to have children and everything now. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not easy. And, and it's actually four kids. Uh, I've got two older boys, um, 20, oh, wow. yeah, I got a 22 year old and an 18 year old. And, um, uh, my wife had them uh, before we got married and adopted them. So we're, we're all, we're all one happy family. And, I've got two younger ones, a uh, four and a half year old boy, and then my baby girl actually turns one on Sunday, so a big one year mark. Um, but it's uh, it, it was a challenge early on. Uh, my first year in the NBA, I, we had a hectic summer. Um, finished my first year as a head coach in the in the D League, um, navigating the waters of you know, am I coming back? I'm you know, getting the job in Atlanta. 
we're getting married. I'm going out to Summerlee. We have to find a house. What schools are our older boys going to go to? Uh, come back from our honeymoon. Got to go to a coaches retreat. Next thing you know, the season starts and you're like, man, you know, this family just started and I'm already in the thick of an NBA season, which is completely different than a, than a D-League season. And it, it took some struggles. It took some heart to hearts with my wife about powering through and kind of, I hate to say the word like getting into a routine, but just kind of understanding the waves of an NBA season and the, the amount of travel and the late nights and uh, the varying schedules from a game day to a practice day and getting home at 2 a.m. and maximizing time with my family. So I had to become more efficient with my workloads and, you know, working on the road as opposed to when I'm at home so that I can spend time with my kids and go on date nights with my wife. And I think we've kind of gotten into a groove where I've, I've been blessed with a supportive family. I mean, they support me coming to the games, always rooting for me when I'm on the road and checking up on me. And um, my wife gets it. She grew up in a military family and she bounced around all over the place and moving from Atlanta to Milwaukee was, you know, somewhat of a breeze for her. And to know that she's, you know, such a strong woman, strong wife, strong mother cares for our kids. It makes me able to go out and work as hard as I can get all my work done so that when I come home, I can maximize my time with my kids. And, you know, you got to pick your spots when you got to work. You know, sometimes I'm working at 11 o'clock at night till two in the morning just so I can put my kids to sleep. And um, it, that's what matters. At the end of the day, my family is my priority. And just said this could come and go, but I want to be the best dad possible. And knowing that I'm going to be a great father and a great husband allows me to be a great coach and, and vice versa. I say this all the time, like by being the best dad and husband, I'm going to be able to invest myself as much as I can as a coach. And if I can give all I can as a coach, that's going to allow me to be the best dad and husband I can to provide for my family. Um, so it's, it's it's an interesting dynamic for sure. Yeah. And like I said, I think it always matters to, you know, who you work for is a little bit different. And, and Smalls and I both had some friends, in you know, in the Spurs organization and in some other organizations in the NBA. And, you know, you work for a guy like Pop and, and he's a big family oriented guy. You know, that's just the bottom line. And, and it, it's nice to know that, like, as you carry that on in your career, you know, you carry some of those ideals as well. But he gives you an opportunity to, you know, you don't have to work. 18 hour days every day. If you're not, you know, on the road, it is what it is. Maybe you get into LA at three o'clock in the morning, like that just happens. But we, we've heard that before that, that those organizations, and I'm sure Bud too, being from that tree, you know, they do a really good job making it easier on you, which I know helps because in college, when I worked for guys that were really tough, like it, it impacts you, you know, it really does. So it's really good to hear that. Yeah. But it's definitely that I, I, for 100% he allows us to he makes that a priority is that our families are so important to our life because he knows how important we are to him and he wants to make sure our, our families are doing great too and we've heard we've heard that the coaches retreats while there is a lot of basketball being talked like you might get a really nice bottle of wine like a couple really good meals we've heard coaches retreats like they're not you know they're secretive and they're their work but they might there might be some perks with the coaches retreats well that, that's probably a perfect example when we talk about you know balancing work life and personal life we go out, we get up bright and early in the morning, get breakfast in our systems, you know, grind for a couple of hours, work, watch film, dissect, argue, find ways to get better and what we're going to do this upcoming season and come around two o'clock or three o'clock in the afternoon. We're going to go hit the golf course. We're going to go hit the lake. We're going to rent some boats, jet skis, have a great dinner, bottles of wine and talk some business, but just, you know, laugh a ton, laugh a ton. And, you know, I couldn't be more blessed to be with the staff that we have because we know each of us values the the work life balance, and and it it must be difficult too. It, it's probably important to get that done early in the season because once the season goes, it just 
I know it's 82 games and it's the playoffs, but Taylor, does it feel like it just you snap your fingers and all of a sudden you're two thirds or three quarters of the way through the season and you haven't had a chance to really take a breath and enjoy, you know, the moment in the profession? Or, or do you feel like you're better at doing that now? Yeah, I think uh, individually, 100 percent, I'm, I'm definitely better at enjoying that. And what helps that a is my family. I mean, uh, when I step out of the office, they make it so easy for me to detach and you know, spend, you know, family dinners or playing on the floor with all my kids toys. But then as a staff, when we're together, you know, we're around each other so much and, you know, we'll break bread as a team, you know, like uh, the other night um, when we were in Chicago, we did a team dinner. So we sit as a staff and hoot and holler and laugh, whether it's a win or loss, you know, we, we just try to enjoy the moment. And, you know, we're on the plane and, you know, flying after the game last night, we're having a bottle of wine and just talking about all kinds of things. So, we spend so much together that we try not to let the moment pass us. And obviously we're in a special season, but you know, whether we're things are going good or things aren't going good, we try to enjoy the moments with each other. Uh, Cause we do have those relationships outside of the work environment where we spend the time together uh, with our families and our significant others. And I think that just makes our bonds that much deeper and allows us to go into a competitive work environment where we all are opinionated and have our ideas and, but we can trust and respect each other and challenge each other. I'm going to take you right into coach speak our first uh, you know, segment here and we've got a couple quotes for you. I'll take the first, Tyler will take the second. Uh, this first one's from Quinn Snyder. Whether it be turnovers, transition, defense, not communicating, the enemy enemy for us is mistakes. Turnovers is one example of that. The more mistakes we make, the more things we have to do really well. Against the very best teams, you can't overcome mistakes. Obviously, like I said, that's Quinn Snyder. And you you essentially answered this a little earlier in the podcast, but I want to frame it in a different way. You guys are the number one seed in the East, but you're a young team. And as the season goes, you mentioned it, you know, you can get a little complacent with winning. I think that's probably the best way to put it. How do you guys creatively, maybe some creative ways that you've come up to keep your players engaged? focus on winning and finishing the season strong, hopefully getting that number one seed and then rolling into the playoffs as a hot team. Sure. I mean, that, that's a, that's a great quote. I mean, the, the enemy is yourself. Um, You know, if, if you're not taking that daily focus of wanting to get better every single day and, you know, Bud sets a, a message from the very get go. I mean, even before we started training camp about our, our core principles are competing number one, First and foremost, playing together is number two. And number three is getting better every single day. And those are like the pillars that we use from day one till, you know, hopefully when we're hoisting uh, the trophy at the end of the season. Um, And so like when we hit the guys coming back from all-star break, it's, you know, it's not about records. It's not about, you know, like we got to attain this goal or whatnot because we've been slipping and it's not that easy. And to get ready for the playoffs, our focus daily has to be how are we getting better and what's our standard? And Bud's been hitting the guys with that the last couple of games and timeouts or at halftime is this isn't our standard. This isn't us. And when you build up that kind of equity, especially in a good season over you know the first 50 or 60 games, you can easily turn back and go, guys, we talk about this stuff every single day. Yeah, we're going to spend time, you know, talk about the Lakers and you know the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns coming up on this road trip when it's appropriate. But what matters most to us every single day is who are we? And Bud's been hitting them with that on the whiteboards. Like, who are we? You know, are we going to be this type of offense or this time of defense or this clip? Are we not going to pass the ball to the open teammate or are we not going to rotate and come over and, and make that assignment on defense? Like, who are we? 
what's our standard? And we continue to hit them every single day from day one till the very end. So the message is pretty clear throughout. And, you know, that can get boring too. It's the same thing over and over and over again. And that's kind of our challenge and opportunity as coaches is to go, all right, you know, how many times are you going to go back to the well and use the same thing over and over and over again? And that's, you know, the beauty of us as, you know, coaches, but especially Bud, he's in the hot seat where he's got to, he's got to manage that, not just on a team level, but on individual players, because players, they go through waves throughout the season too, where they're playing good. They might hit a little slump or something's going on and they're just not feeling right. And, you know, it, it's a grind. Um, and I think the little things that you sprinkle in throughout is you kind of want to break up the monotony. So we also challenge ourselves to come up with ways that it's not the same message. It's not the same routine. Um, can we do something a little bit different that the guys might get excited about? Hey, we're going to go do something fun or we're going to not do basketball today. We're going to do something else. And it kind of keeps them on edge a little bit where it's not like you're stuck in the same old over and over and over again. Cause we all know once the playoffs roll around, the excitement level goes through the roof um, and the intensity goes up. But to get through 82 games, that message still has to be consistent about getting better every single day. It's a work day. We have to work. It's a game day. We have to bring that same competitive nature. Um, so it's, it's not easy, but like that quote said, it's like, you know, you don't want to miss steps. You don't want to make mistakes throughout it. And, uh, you try your best as a coach and sometimes it works. We don't have all the answers, but you you try to do what you believe in and carry that from day one till the very end. It's, it's just interesting. I I made this sheet a a couple days ago before we, I picked this quote before you, you play the Kings on Wednesday and it's like, you talk about focus or whatever, like Eric Bledsoe, last possession of the game last night in regulation. Like he's locked in and as focused as possible, just, you know, ends up forcing a turnover. But it was like unbelievable late in the game to be like on the road, knowing you need to stop to get to overtime. You know, it's funny. We picked this one like, oh, how do you maintain focus? And like that was one of the more focused defensive possessions, you know, the entire game last night. And that's, you know, to save the game. And then you end up going to overtime and getting out of there with a win. So it's I think it's interesting just what you were saying to try to sprinkle it in. But keep guys focused because like I just that was an unbelievable like 10 second possession for Eric Bledsoe specifically and everybody did their job but just him being like you're just not going to score and I think it was De'Aaron Fox but I just like a pretty fun moment you know Uh and that I'm sure that doesn't get boring for guys right Taylor like you're walking off the court pretty fired up after that would be my (laughs) guess uh absolutely I mean it's uh I think we're very fortunate as uh you know in the Bucks organization because it all starts to me, it all starts with your players, um, you know, from ownership to front office to coaches. We have a big role in, in all this. But when you get the players in there that are competitive, that are unselfish, um, guys that want to get challenged and truly want to get better every single day, um, they push each other. Um, you know, every day we're pushing our guys to get better one on one film sessions, team practices, whatever it is, games. But when you've got guys that have each other's back and one night it's going to be Eric Bledsoe taking that one-on-one challenge, Brooke Lopez is going to take it the other night, Chris Middleton, Malcolm, guys off the bench, Giannis, whomever it is, and our guys reap the benefits of that and see and get rewarded for it. And the W, the win, that stands out. But we all have our wins throughout the season, win or lose at the end of the game because of guys' ability to compete and get better. And when guys rally around that and cheer for each other, it's exciting to see. Yeah, and I, actually, it's funny you brought up Giannis because I, I did cherry pick this quote from Kevin Durant. So not real coach speak, but just a quote from Kevin Durant. Sure. It said, "Greek Freak is, I think, is a force. I've never seen anything like him, and his ceiling is probably he could end up being the best player to ever play if he really wanted to. That's pretty scary to think about. I actually think this is from last year, but obviously, you know, you've been around some unbelievable players. I mentioned some of the guys in Atlanta, and then obviously, we, we you know, everybody knows the Spurs and their core, but." 
Giannis is 24 years old. It feels like it's 30, 10, and 5 every single night. What's it like watching him and, and watching? I want to know about more like his energy level. He seems to just love playing. It seems like his guys feed on him. What's it like being part of a coaching staff when you have a guy like that every single night where it just feels like he just he never gets tired and it's just results after result after result? Well, he, he is an amazing basketball player. Even more, he's an amazing person. And his, his energy is infectious. And, you know, you saw it from afar as, as, a, as a coach in Atlanta. You're like, man, this guy, he's a special talent all that. But when you're with him day to day, and you see his daily work habits. I mean, he truly wants to be the best player in the world and one of the greatest of all times. He has that mentality, and that's what separates some of these players, you know, in, as like legends of the game. And him to be only, you know, 24, you know, not even 25 years old yet, and the amount of work that he puts into his craft, how much he wants to win, and how much he, how unselfish he is too. Like, he's such a humble person. Like, it, his story is so unique and it, it's, it's a blessing for us as, you know, the coaches here because, you know, he doesn't separate himself from his teammates. Like he wants to do everything possible, obviously for him to be the best that he can be, but he knows how important that is for his teammates and for the team to get where they want to go. He had a quote early in the year about, it's like, you know, all that matters to me is to win the championship. Like, so I'm going to work as hard as I can. And that's a team goal. That's not an individual goal. Of course he wants to be MVP and, you know, he strives for that and I hope he is, but at the end of the day, he wants to win. And when you're a part of that as a coaching staff and he sets that tone, but then everyone else, Chris, Eric, Malcolm, Brooke, you know, guys off the bench, like they all have that same mentality and they realize that we're doing something special. Um, you know, when you have a team that has that collective mentality, it, it sets up for a special season and, you know, it makes you excited to go to work every single day. And that energy, like you talk about, it's there day in and day out. Yeah, it's really interesting. I coached his brother uh, in the D-League for a year before he got drafted by the Knicks. And I, I remember how close their family was. And, like, obviously there's this whole Antetokounmpo bros now and everything like that. But but I do remember that, like, and, and T was the same way. Just wanted to do everything he could to win. And I remember maybe early in his career, Giannis was probably trying to do too much. And now he's evolved into a player that, that really can do as much as he wants to do, which is just so unreal. Like, it's... I, I don't know, man, Taylor. It must be just unbelievable to just watch some of the performances. Because it's like you just look at the box score and it's like, all right, 37, 15, and 8. Like, this was, it was a good night. It was a good night. It's a, uh, it truly is. I mean, the stat lines say their things and, you know, you see all the highlights. But there, there are these unselfish plays and these competitive winning plays that Bud and all of us have challenged him. And the same with the rest of the team. Those are the moments that we're most proud of. 30, 10, and 5, like, that obviously is going to be something you're proud of because it's impact and winning, it's it's rebounds, it's assist to your teammates, but the block shots, the 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 ability to switch and guard a guy one-on-one and not let him score, coming over a rotation and taking away a layup and forcing someone else to, you know, make a play, and that stuff jumps out there. You're like, this is winning basketball. These are those habits that he's starting to develop over the years where he had to become a more efficient player. Like, and he's realized that it's like, okay, how am I going to maximize my strengths and be efficient on both ends of the floor with the whole goal of impacting winning. And and he's only scratching the surface right now. And, you know, he continues to grow and develop that. And so does the team around him. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome to watch. It also feels like, too, that he is just genuinely happy. Like when his teammates, like when they win, and so, like it doesn't matter to him who makes the big play, right? I feel that from him that like 
He loves basketball. He loves winning and he loves being part of a team. Like, I, I feel like that's the most genuine thing about him. It's almost like he's got this like innocence to him. that's just like so infectious. Uh, 100%. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's, it's the same in practice. I mean, obviously you see it in the games last night, you know, Pat Connaughton drives into a crowd, makes the unselfish play, kicks it out to Malcolm Brogdon, hits a huge three, huge shot, to put yeah. us four, you know, pretty much get us close to winning the game. And the reaction on the bench, Giannis, everyone else, just pumping fists and running up the sideline. Like that we see on a nightly basis. We also see that on a daily basis um, in practice and the cheering that these guys have for each other. I mean, Giannis is one of the most vocal guys in practice. And, you know, one thing, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, remember when Bud first got the job and he was talking about the team and obviously talking a lot about Giannis and how special he can become. It reminded him a lot about Tim Duncan. It's just that everything he does, you know, Tim wanted to be the best that he could be, but it was all about the team. Like, not every individual is the same, but at the core, it's they want to win, 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 and it's all about the team. And to have that kind of comparison, being two players that are completely different from each other, is pretty pretty special to know and know that you have the fortune of working with someone like that. Yeah, Giannis is very special, but a special place is Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I've never been there. <laughs> He loves Milwaukee too. He loves he loves it. Giannis yeah. is a big and Milwaukee the, guy. Smoothies, I mean, baby. Like, let's come do on. It. Like this is now we're into our city review segment. You're gonna take me and Tyler coming for a weekend to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We'll probably catch a Bucks game, but I want you to give us three restaurants, two night spots or bars, and one activity to do in Milwaukee. You take it away. It's your show. Okay, well, let me let me know when you guys are in town. I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks ticket's pretty hot thing these days. Yeah. So <laughs> if, you, if you guys give me enough heads up, I think I can hook you guys up. Pfizer uh, Forums is a rocking place right now. Um, man, I, I've fallen in love with the city of Milwaukee from day one. Uh, the neighborhood we moved into, just people are so welcoming. Uh, it's got that Midwest vibe. And um, I think there's a lot of fun stuff. It's good. It's underrated, but it's definitely starting to hit the map and grow and boom. I'd say three spots, uh, a couple of my favorites when you come to town. Uh, if you're if you're into Italian food, this place called Calderon Club, I think a lot of people in the NBA know about it. It's uh, not too far from the arena. It's kind of like an old, you know, bar joint feel, but it's got amazing Italian food. Mm. The guys straight from from Italy, Authentic. all the ingredients are imported. The servers are Italian. They got the accents. They got the hospitality. The spaghetti and meatballs, hands down, best I've had. You've got to, you've got to try that spot out. Um, another spot, if you really like uh, steaks, a spot called Carnivore. Um, it's kind of an intimate feel. So if you've got a, you know, a, a lady in your life, significant other that you want to take on a nice date, they got some Wagyu beef steaks that are unbelievable, good ambiance, kind of got like that dark, dark tent feel in there, candlelight dinner. Great uh, romantic evening spot. Definitely been there a few times. Yeah, we all three of us can have a romantic evening together. I don't see anything wrong with that. Cut some Wagyu up, have a glass of wine, let Tyler smell it. We'll be all good. This is a high level menu. I'm looking at it right now. This is this is good. This is what we this is what we need in our life, Taylor. This is good (laughs) stuff so far. If I if I can remember the sides too, uh, there's a truffle theme to a lot of stuff out there. The truffle mac and cheese. I mean, I'm all about mac and yeah. cheese. So if 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 I can get my hands on a good one, that one blows my mind away. It's a great accompaniment to some of that Wagyu beef. Um, but if you guys do want to do a triple date, new spot that we found, it's called Movita. One of our assistant coaches um, recommended to us. We actually did a Valentine's dinner there. 
And then a week later to the day, we took a group of about 12 people out, uh, did a group dinner, Movita, a little Spanish flair, tapas. Yeah. It's kind of like an old, old building. It's got great soundtrack, good open floor seating. Tapas are good, but the red sangria, oh my God. It's like the best <laughs> sangria I've had. I, I'm, my, my wife's from Panama. Uh, so I've gotten like the Latin flair, you know, the food. And, you know, when she talked about, you know, sangria, I first got into it with her. And then having this the other night, I'm like huge fan. And the top off the night, you can never go wrong with some good churros with a little chocolate dipping <laughs> sauce. We, we, can, we, we can start the night off pretty good there. <laughs> Uh, so I think, I think you'll have a good, good intake of food to set you up for a little nightlife after, um, a couple spots that I like, you know, if you're kind of more into a chill mood, there's a hotel called the Kempton journeyman and mm -hmm. they, have, they have a rooftop. The spot's called the outsider, really cool spot with some fire pits. They've got some old, you know, school stand up shuffleboard that you can play outside, a little indoor outdoor patio seating, nice view of downtown. Even during the winter, it, it's got a good vibe. Um, so that's kind of more the low key. Uh, if you're more adventurous and you kind of want to hit the club club vibe, Lucid is a is a popular spot in Milwaukee. All the you know popular songs are hit. Definitely Bodies on Bodies. Not a lot of very room. dangerous name club called Lucid. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you, you're not sure what's going on in there. <laughs> you you got to have all your awareness and senses going for sure. You better be careful there. But I will say the new favorite of mine. I discovered it last week. Heard about it a lot. A lot of our video guys go there. It's called Brady Street, and it's just bar after bar after bar. It's definitely what you think Milwaukee is, like people just getting in there, good people, good vibe, friendly fun. I mean, you just pop from one bar to the other, uh, each place with a different vibe, different theme. Uh, spot called The Garage I went to the other night. One of those soundtracks that took me back, I'm 34, took me back to like when it was like the late 1990s, early 2000s. I'm jamming out with my wife. I'm like, man, I feel so young again. It was. Is it uh, is it like Sixth Street or is it like Ranny yeah, Street? Or yeah. it's funny, funny that you say that because my brother was in town. He actually lives in Austin still, and he came up. He's like, man, this reminds me exactly of uh, West Sixth Street. And I was like, exactly, you're right. Uh, spent a lot of time there in Austin, so it definitely was a nice little, you know, take me back home kind of uh, memory lane. I also love that you you did suggest an outdoor bar when it's been like negative fifty degrees in Milwaukee yeah. like the last yeah, couple of weeks. We're That's all toughness. looking towards summer. Come on, <laughs> you gotta, come on, man! You got to embrace it. Doesn't the cold's got to it awakens the soul, man? It awakens. The I mean, you, this has got to be your first. Not to get off track, but this has really got to have been your first. Like, I know you've traveled to cold cities before, but this is the first time you've lived. Other, I mean, you lived in Philly for four years, but you know, Texas, Atlanta, and now you're up to Milwaukee and you, you got a house and you're walking out and it's 35 below. That that had to be a little <laughs> bit tough to deal with the first day. Yeah, it's tough. It's surprisingly, I actually kind of like the cold. Now, the super, super cold, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say oh, I like it. it. It can be tough. I told people, yeah, you know, the, the winters I dealt with in Philly, you know, they're like, Philly? Yeah. And this really? is nothing yeah. compared to Philly. This is so much worse. And I was like, oh my God, the biggest thing is, is the ice like the snow i've kind of been used to and the temps you're indoors a lot you kind of hibernate but uh the ice that, that that's something you have to account for big time yeah and then i guess the the activity like when you guys come to town catch out a catch out a bucks game the brewers i mean during the summertime they had a great run i think they're built to have a good good run move forward with all their young talent the lake i mean there's so much stuff to do, and we have, we haven't even experienced it we've driven by it Summerfest is out there in July. It's a two-week concert full of like some of the top artists, uh, venue after venue, right on the beach. 
beach volleyball for, you know, a good mile, um, you know, sailing, paddle boarding, everything, you know, boat rides. Uh, the lake is where it's so at. We, we've made some friends that are boat guys. We got to get them up to Milwaukee. So we have access to a couple nice boats, smalls, and then, you know, we just do our own thing. Well, We'll bring the Bud Light, no free ads, and then we'll take care, you know, we'll take care of everything else. I've got to acknowledge, this was as high level of a city review in terms of, you know, your transitions were were professional level. (laughs) And I would, I'm even surprised, even for a Wharton guy, a Wharton guy, this is a well above a Wharton guy. It's impressive. You know, we might just let you do city review every week. So hopefully, hopefully you're good to go. Hey, uh, when I... I'm a I'm a I'm a foodie at heart, man. Any city I go to, I've kind of got that reputation on the staff. Everyone's like, "So what restaurant are you going to?" <laughs> oh, there he goes again, going to this spot. The best part about it, right, Taylor, is like you worked in the D League, and it's like you know, it's not the most high, it's not the highest paying job, but for some reason, like when you work on those staffs, like you figure out a way to get yourself like a really good meal every couple weeks where you're ending, you're eating a restaurant that's definitely out of your price range, but it's delicious. <laughs> and you just kind of figure out a way to make it work. I'm serious. That was the same situation. You, you kind of commandeer your way on to like the coach's dinner. They pick up your check for you. It's great. You're like living well above your means, making very little money. That's the best part about coaching. I think. <laughs> no, I think uh, I've learned that from pop. I've definitely learned that from bud firsthand. Like, you know, talk about work-life balance, yeah, having a good meal, sharing a good break bread, the memories. And that's how I've been even before basketball. Like some of my fondest memories are going and having a great meal. And if it if it's outside the budget, I'm going to go do it anyway because I know the memories I'm going to have there, the the food, the wine, but also the good conversation too. No doubt. All right. Uh, Ten touches. We'll roll through these. This is like 30-second rapid fire. I got the first five. Who's the funniest player you've ever coached and the funniest person you've ever worked with? Ooh, funniest player, Brooke Lopez. Uh, it's only been one year so far. That guy is hilarious. Um, he is hilarious. Funniest coach, uh, man, let's go with Nevin Spahia, international guy from Croatia. He's the Croatian sensation. Uh, I thought you were going to – Darvin Ham, I, I actually – the Lakers practiced a couple times at our facility at Temple, and Darvin Ham always had a smile on his face. He was always laughing and cracking jokes. I think I, they practiced there twice when he was there. It was a funny dude. Uh-uh. You spent a lot of time in the, you know, you don't, you charter everywhere now. You're probably staying in like the Beverly Wilshire as we speak, but uh, you did spend a lot of time traveling pretty low rent. What's your worst travel experience that you can remember? Yeah, worst, uh, you know, I'd say, I'd probably say funniest. It was like my second year in the D League. We're traveling, I mentioned earlier, from South Dakota to North Dakota, and we're driving in one of those like old hotel rental car shuttle vans, and all of a sudden there's a big thud. And a pheasant was trying to run across the highway, <laughs> two-lane highway, gets caught in the plexiglass sign at the top of the van. Feathers start coming through the AC unit. It hit the car so hard that the the, the open door came on wedge. We go to a parking uh, a, a gas station, and the driver disappears. They're like, what's going on? He gets some cardboard to tape up, and there's a dead pheasant in the car for the rest of the ride. And you're looking around at each other, and you're just like – all right, here we go. On to the next stop. It, I mean, it was. It woke everyone up from their nap, and then the the feathers coming through the uh, the AC unit was kind of like the telltale sign. <laughs> that's a that's a, a D League story if I've ever heard one. Um, what if you have an opportunity? What what TV show are you binge watching? Yeah, I'm probably boring. Everyone's got Netflix and all these other shows, HBO on the go. I stick to my tried and true uh, Seinfeld, TBS syndicated. I'm Seinfeld every day, that's all the day. Love it. What would you What would you do if you uh, if you weren't coaching? You know, you got that fancy Wharton degree to fall back on, but uh, did you Did you ever consider you know what else you would have done? 
Yeah, uh, definitely thought about it. I mean, uh, you know, my dream before I even got into basketball, like I would love to go back to my high school, uh, teach what subject I don't, I do not know. Um, but I definitely would want to coach basketball and being a student advisor. So go back and, you know, be a part of my high school alma mater. Gotcha. Uh, last one for me. What's your favorite memory from your time in the D league? So, I mean, the first that jumps off, obviously winning the championship, um, my fourth year in the league, that was a special moment, you know, culmination of, you know, years of hard work, but, you know, I look past that and it's cool because I've kept some jerseys of some former players. Like when guys got called up to the NBA, that was special for me. And uh, one of my all-time favorites, uh, Squeaky Johnson, uh, when he got called up to the New Orleans Hornets and I got to you know be there when he found out and see him cry and then see him start and play in an NBA game, that was really special for me. If you could change one thing about the NBA, what would it be? Uh, man, the NBA is in a great spot. Don't um, say anything about the refs. They uh, might listen. That could be 25 racks. Like, hey, they, got, <laughs> they, they got a tough job. That's for sure. It ain't easy. Um, but I, I would say, you know, if there was any way, and I think the NBA has done a really good job, but, you know, the schedule with the back-to-backs and, you know, they've done a great job and it's probably impossible to eliminate. But if there's a way to continue to cut back on those back-to-back games uh, for all teams, I think that could be a benefit for uh, the product they're putting out there on TV. Yeah, great job by the NBA, but let's get rid of the back-to-backs. Let's go. <laughs> Listen here. <laughs> Most embarrassing moment in coaching for you? Ah, uh, man. Uh, happened about two years ago. Uh, split my pants um, up on the sidelines because people make fun of me. I'm always the guy that gets up and runs up to Bud to yell something in his ear about God knows what and uh, I ripped my pants. I usually travel just with one suit. So like this five game trip, I got five dress shirts, one suit. So if I rip it game one, I'm just riding through. <laughs> and uh, I, didn't, I didn't get it sewn up. So the very next game we're in DC and, you know, I can hear the whispers behind me and I'm like, what's going on behind me? Like, are they looking into our huddle? Do I need to block my view? And I know full heartedly I've got ripped pants. And this gentleman stops. He goes, excuse me, sir. Uh, I think your pants ripped. I was like, oh, it's all cool, man. I ripped them last game. I'm, I'm riding strong. And I'm just like, I'm rolling with it. You know, just embrace it. It is what it is. Oh, man. Yeah, you got to own it. You definitely got to own it. Uh, do you have a pregame routine? Are you superstitious in any, in any way? Uh, not really. Um, I probably just do stuff out of habit, you know, walk the same way from the car to the locker room and whatnot. But um, I do enjoy going back and kind of looking through ATO cards and um, you know, play ideas and sitting out with Bud and drawing some stuff up. So trying to get that in, it can can always be pretty good before the game. Do you have a hidden or secret talent? Oh man, I wish you, I could say I had a hidden secret talent. I like to think I'm a, a funny guy, but you know that that seems like a little bit of a stretch. So. Uh, guys always tell me that if, if this doesn't work out, you know, this all else fails, I'll probably be some like PA announcer in an NBA arena or I'll be voiced over on commercials. I, I can do some good impersonations, uh, to, you know, to garner up a few laughs. I love it. I love it. Can you give us two podcast guests that we need to have on in the future? Uh, definitely need to have, uh, Darvin Ham on. I mean, that dude's my big brother. I've learned so much from him. Uh, his life story, his playing stories. I think you guys would have a hoot. I mean, real talk. Um, he, he'd be tons of fun. And if I'll, I'll just stick with the Bucks. I mean, Charles Lee, another young coach. Um, you know, played at Bucknell. He gets a lot of crap. Talk to him about his Bucknell playing days. And 
how he couldn't make it, but you know, Mike Muscala, you know, made it. We coached him in Atlanta. Guy that you have great laughs with, uh, played overseas, went to Wall Street, great family man, but love uh love his work in player development. He just got a great way to connect with guys, can speak to a lot about, you know, working with players one on one. I think he's a great young coach. I actually have one good Darvin Ham story, but I'll, I'll tell it to you. Well, I love I love just saying one, stuff. I love to, I love telling stuff like this so listeners get all pissed off and my friends text me afterwards. I, I don't want to say it on the podcast, but when we stop recording, I'll, I'll tell you. Wait, Dar- by, by friends, you mean your mother, right? That's true. Those are the only <laughs> people. That, those are the only people. That uh, and Jimmy Fennerty, friend of the program, Jimmy Fennerty. Uh, all right, parting shots. Same two questions to every guest, Taylor. In your you know coaching career, your life, what, what's the best advice you think you've ever been given? Best advice I've ever been given. Um, this is a quote. It, it was from my dad. And it was way before I even got to coaching. I was, I was like, you know, 16, 17 years old. My dad and I were playing on the golf course. Uh, he was transitioning jobs and he turned to me and he said, son, you know, make sure when you wake up every single day, you do something that you enjoy. And I told my dad that about a year ago. I said, dad, I'll always remember this quote. And he was like, what? I don't remember telling you that. Like it, it was so casual in his mind. It wasn't like this fatherly son like okay I'm, I'm gearing up to tell my son this one thing it just happened to be just like a truthful in the moment um comment but it stuck with me and i think that's what everyone should strive for in life whether it's in coaching it's in something else it's in your family life is do whatever possible life is short make sure you wake up every single day and do what makes you happy and final one from us you're face to face with your 22 year old self that freshly minted wharton grad <laughs> What are you telling that person? Uh, I'm proud of you. Um, you know, you've always been someone that's kind of just gone after, you know, the toughest challenges in life. Um, you know, you've always wanted to challenge yourself to be the best that you can be. Um, continue to be the, you know, someone that cares about family. Family's the utmost importance to you. And, you know, getting married and having kids and having an extended family and, just realizing that at the end of the day, your family is the most important thing. Who knows what comes your way? You know, NBA head coach, high school head coach, you're not even coaching basketball, whatever it is. Just remember your family is the most important thing in life. No, great. I mean, honestly, great advice. And and it, it does seem like, you know, just in talking to you the last hour, 15 minutes, it, it seems like, you know, you stay true to that. And, and also, you know, your your staff you work with is another extension of your family and your players and things like that. And I, I think that that makes it seem so comfortable. I'm, I'm sure it's much more difficult on a day-to-day basis than you've made it sound, but I appreciate that honesty, you know, because it, it, it has to be like that, I think. And because otherwise it might not be fun because so much of your life is tied to whether or not you win or lose, which seems at its core to be very poor, but you don't have that outlook. And I think that's really refreshing. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, this is an interesting game, an interesting world we live in. It's kind of a bubble and um it, it's got its hard moments it's got its easy moments too and i i think like you said uh the staff is kind of an extension of your family if you make it a priority and you build your staff that way because the support group for my wife when i'm on the road and the coaches wives getting together with their kids and having play dates and you know being able to go and break free and do a couples only night with coaches and just you know just be you know non-coaches for a night uh, i think it's great and, uh, you know, we're together so much and to have that sense of family where you want to go to work every single day. And, you know, I, this isn't talking ill, but like, you know, last year was a struggle in Atlanta and, you know, uh, you're not winning as much. And now obviously we're, we're having a lot of great success here and that's not, you know, talking comparisons at all. But the fact that we still were excited to go to work every single day because what motivated us was 
to work hard, to coach, to get better. And you worked with people that you believed in and you respected and you shared a lot of moments outside of work with. That just makes it that much better. You know, whether you're winning or losing, you just go to work every single day with people that you care about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he is Taylor Jenkins and and we do appreciate all the time. And like I said, you guys, this will air after, but you know, you're in the midst of a a pretty brutal road trip. Let let us know what, uh, you know, LeBron's post-game comments are after after the uh, game on Friday night. But uh, we appreciate you taking the time. Best of luck the rest of the way, and, and we'll be following. All right, man? Tyler Smalls, thank you so much, guys. This was a pleasure and a, and a huge joy. Thanks, guys.